chapter number 17. And if you don't have one, uh, the verses will be on the screen in front of you this morning. You can sure look there. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us this morning. I know I've got to meet a number of guests with us this morning. I want to say thank you for choosing to be with us, and uh, we are grateful for it. I count it an honor that you chose to come to Whitehall Baptist Church this morning. I don't take that lightly. Uh, there are other churches in town, no doubt, but I believe you came to the right one, all right? I'm thankful for that. Now, man, I'm a little bit partial, okay, but uh, I'm thankful that you chose to come here this morning, and I'm looking forward to diving into the Word of God together. Listen, when, when we preach uh, from the Word of God, and, and you can ask anybody that comes here on a regular basis, we go verse by verse by verse through the Scriptures, so we allow the scripture to speak for itself. Uh, you can go anywhere and listen to a person's opinion, all right? There's, there's opinions all over the place you can go and listen. Uh, but there's only one thing that will actually change your life, and that's the Word of God. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to be diving into a passage of scripture from Acts chapter number 17. And, and for those of you that know your Bibles, you may be scratching your head a little bit and thinking, wait a second, this is the resurrection of Christ that we're celebrating. What are we doing all the way over here in Acts, all right? Shouldn't we be in the gospel somewhere? Well, uh, we're going to look, you'll, you'll, you'll pick up here in just a little bit, okay? But you'll see that this ties right into the resurrection of Christ. And we're actually going to look at a message that somebody else preached. Now, some people say, ask me, you know, how do you come up with your messages? Well, it's real easy. I find other preachers that preach and then I just preach what they, no, I'm just kidding, all right? I, I don't usually do that. Usually Tressa just gets them for me. No, okay, all right, I'm just... What really happens is, is uh, we, just, we go through the verses by verse, but today we have a unique situation. I'm going to get to preach to you actually a message that somebody else preached. And no, it's not some contemporary of mine or somebody from a couple hundred years ago. It's somebody that preached right here in the Bible. We're going to look at a message from a man called the Apostle Paul. If you don't know about him, listen, he had a huge impact on the world. In fact, he wrote almost half of the New Testament. He had a major impact, and he gave his life for the cause of Christ. He started out as a person that was a, a, a persecutor of Christians and ultimately gave his life for, for Jesus, made a huge impact on the then-known world. And we're going to read a message that he preached... And and we're going to dive into that this morning. So if you would, look with me at verse number 22 of Acts chapter number 17. We're going to begin reading there, and after we finish reading, we're going to ask for the Lord to help us and see what God has for us from the message this morning. In Acts chapter number 17, verse number 22, it says, And Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens. He was there in Athens, Greece. He says, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious, for as I passed by, and beheld your devotions, I found an altar to an, with a, this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things." Hath made of all, one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being as certain also of our poets have said, for we are also His offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead has likened to gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth He all men everywhere to repent, because He hath appointed a day 
in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Let's pray this morning, ask for the Lord's help, and then we're going to dive into these verses today. I want to preach a message to you that I've simply entitled, Stop Being Religious. Stop Being Religious. Let's ask for the Lord's help this morning, and we're going to dive into the Scriptures. Father, thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord, for each person that's here, whether it's a regular attender, a member, Lord, or, or a guest, Lord. I'm thankful for each person that's here. What a blessing. And God, we, we rejoice that you filled your house, but now, Lord, as we, we come to this moment where we open your word, and God, as we dive into it for a few moments, I pray you'd help us to bring our thoughts into captivity. Lord, I know there are a lot of things going on today. You know I've got plans after service, and, and I'm sure everybody in this room has plans. But I pray for a few moments we'd set our plans aside. And God, we would just focus our attention and our minds on you and on your word and on this message that, that the Apostle Paul gave to us, Lord, and may we be challenged by it. God, I've already asked, but I, I ask you again, Lord, if there's somebody here that, that doesn't know that heaven is their eternal home, or maybe they're kind of questioning if they can even know that, I pray today from the Scriptures, Lord, that we would see certainty in that answer. And God, I pray that everything that I do, everything that I say would bring you honor and glory. And God, we'll give you all the, the praise for it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, according to a, a recent article in, on Christianity.com, there's estimated to be somewhere between 4,000 and 10,000 religions in the world today. In our little town of Whitehall, there are no less than 11 different denominations of religious buildings that you could go to. Again, I'm thankful you chose this one. When I talk to people uh, around town or, and I ask them, where do you go to church or, or you know, things like that, you, you get different answers, but most of the time it's, it's in one of two things. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I'm a religious person. Other times they'll say, well, I'm not very religious at all. Well, according to the dictionary, the definition of religion is this, a, a set of beliefs concerning the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe, especially when considered as the creation of superhuman agency, agency or agencies, usually involving devotional and ritual observances, and often containing a moral code governing the conduct of our human affairs. How many of you love dictionary de definitions, right? Okay. Yeah, when I read that, I said, what? <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's me, okay? I'm, I'm simple, okay? Well, what is that even saying? Well, I, I tried to kind of break it down into a little bit better vernacular so that I can understand. It's kind of this. It's a belief system, a system of beliefs that revolve around something like a cause or nature or the purpose of the universe or even, as they said, a superhuman agency. And it usually involves some type of works that you're supposed to do and normally gives moral guidance on how to live. That's the definition according to dictionary.com what, a, uh, uh, what religion is. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like that definition very much, all right? Uh, I don't like it at all, in fact. But that's, that's the definition. And the reality is this. I think it adequately and appropriately defines our world's view of religion today. Because for some, the, the preservation of the earth has become their religion. 
For others, political ideologies have become their religion. How many of you know somebody that's very passionate about politics, right? I mean, we, we know that if you don't, you can just turn on the TV and you'll find a, a bunch of nutcases, all right? Uh, yesterday, we were eating here in town and, and we were sitting there and the kids, the, the TV was playing and it was, it was playing, I think it was, I don't know if it was CNN or Fox or what it was, it was something playing and the kids are sitting there and they just over and over again, well, who's that? What's that mean? What's that say? What's going on there? And we just said, just stop watching it. Leave it alone. You know. So it's a bunch of crazy people talking about stuff that they're passionate about. And nobody's got the right answers. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what it is. The, the religion of politics. In 2021, a poll found that the fastest growing religion in America is no religion. But here's a, the thought. Who determines... If you believe no religion, who, who, who determines that there's nothing after, that there's no supreme being? Who, who determines that if, if that's your position? Well, the answer is simple. Me. <laughs> the person determines that. Well, I believe. In reality, they've made themselves the final authority. And they're worshiping the religion of self. See, everywhere you look, there's a diversity of religion that exists. And that's exactly the situation that Paul found himself in, in Acts chapter number 17. Paul was in Athens, Greece. He was awaiting the arrival of, of Silas and Timothy. And he started to look around the city. And as he looked around, the Bible says that he found a city that was wholly given to idolatry. Everyone there was religious. Everyone worshipped something. Paul gave a different definition of, of this religion. He, he didn't call it religion. And, and, and he said this when he began preaching in Acts chapter number 17, verse 22, I love it. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, and, and, and he said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too, instead of religious, he said, you're too superstitious. All right, that's what he said there. Uh, as one TV personality said, they weren't just a little stitious. They were superstitious, all right? They were, they were, so he says, listen, they were very religious. As Paul went and made his way through the city, he found altars to every deity that people could come up with. It was amazing, no doubt. As, as he walked through, he found an altar over here to the sun and sun god. And then he looked over here and there's an altar to the rain god. And, and over here there's a, an altar to the moon god. And over here here's an altar to, to the dirt god. And I mean, there was gods for, for everything. And, and you kind of get the idea that, that people were coming over and they walk in and say, well, listen, where's, where's you, I see you got this god and you got this god and you got this god and you got this god, but, but where's the god of the snakes? And they're like, we got rid of him. I mean, that's, that's awful, you know. But no, they, they said, okay, well, we need to build an altar for that one. And they were building altars for everything. In fact, they built so many altars that as he passed by, uh, Paul came to one that was a little different than the others. In verse number 23, he says, As I passed by, and as I beheld your devotions, your altars, your religious uh, works that you were doing, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. As he was going by, here's what happened. They had all their gods, the sun and the moon and the stars and the, and the rain and the, 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 the floods and all these different things. They had all their gods. And they said, you know what? We get tired of building new ones, so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to build one god, and it's going to be the unknown god. Just in case we missed any, all right? It's kind of the catch-all idol worship that we can put out here. That's exactly what happened. And Paul's traveling through, and he says, I, I saw this altar that you've created to an unknown God. He says this, to whom you, you ignorantly 
worship him, declare I unto you. Friend, today I want us to see what Paul shared with those Athens and all those, all those years ago. That he shared with them that this, this wasn't just simply an unknown God. No, no, no. This God had a name. And, and it's a reality that's just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. You see, there aren't 4,000 or, or 10,000 religions. Some say you can break it down into to five religious groups. But friend, the, the, from the Scriptures, we can see that, that it's even more simple than that. See, there are only two. There's what the Bible says, and then there's every other one. The world full of religions that tell you all the things you must do to have eternal life, but there's only one that says that it's already done. Friend, we're not talking about denominations this morning. We're not talking about if, you're a, if you identify, okay, that's a big word today, we're not talking about if you identify as a Baptist, or if you identify as a Catholic, or if you identify as a, a Methodist or a Mormon, or if you identify as uh, with any other alphabet soup of religious denominations today. That's not what we're talking about here today. I'm not even asking if you call yourself a Christian. No, today, would you decide with me to be a Biblicist? To say, listen, we're going to make something the final authority because you can choose what it's going to be. You can say, listen, I don't believe it's the Bible. I think it's me. But today, can I challenge you to be a biblicist and make this the final authority? To listen to what this has to say? Today, I want to help some of you in this room to stop being religious. Or as Paul might have said, stop being superstitious. And from a short message from Paul, I want to introduce each and every one of us to the unknown God and what makes him different from all other religions. To do that, let's dive into Paul's message. First of all, he gives us this. He tells us the power of the unknown God. This is what he speaks to them. In verse number 24, he's preaching to them and he says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made uh, of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Paul begins with the trump card for who the unknown God is. He begins in verse number 24 with this. He created everything. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's the trump card. Listen, this is the one that created everything out of nothing. Uh, God that made the world and all things therein. That's who he says. You, can, you don't get too far into the Bible till you find the creation of God. In fact, you just have to make your way past, you know, like, like the front cover and then like the, concord, or the, 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 the table of contents. And then right after you get through that, you find your way to the very first Bible, verse of the Bible in Genesis 1.1 that says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God created the world out of nothing. With only His spoken word, all things come, came into existence. And you know, we live in a, in a day and age where that's called into question. Maybe, maybe 
no time in history more than today is the very power of God's creative ability called into question. And, and if it's truly uh, something that took place, some would say that they don't have enough faith to believe what this book says. But here's where it gets interesting. Ask them how, where they believe everything came into existence from. Usually you'll get an answer like this. Well, about a hundred million billion years ago, that's, by the way, that's the, the secret pixie dust that you have to sprinkle on stuff to make everything work, all right? About a hundred billion million years ago, there was this, this big bang that took place. And, and you can ask them the question, well, where did those, you know, the, the, the big bang, where did that, what caused the big bang? Well, there was just some particles that were floating around in the sky. Wait, wait a second. Where did the particles come from? Who made them? Well, if you go back about another hundred billion years before that, you know, I mean, you just kind of, you just keep pushing it further, further, and further back. And finally, you can ask him the question, well, where did you learn this from? Well, and, and this is what they do. They always have glasses, and they always push them up at this point, okay? And they say this, they say, well, I learned it from a professor at a university. It's like, oh, wow, you learned from a professor. So where did they learn it from? And eventually you get to that point where, well, they learned it from a book. Well, isn't that a novel thought? <laughs> a book written by some man. Friend, what book are you going to believe? I choose to believe this book. See, we all have to determine what our final authority is. I believe that Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ and God and the Holy Spirit, three in one, dwelling there at the very beginning, the Bible says, created the heaven and the earth. For Paul, the answer was very clear. I believe this book and I believe the God of this book. He created everything. But not only that, Paul goes on, he says this, he needs nothing from anyone. Look at verse number 25 again. Neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. He says, listen, God doesn't need anything from you or me. Oh, I mean, like, hey, he, the one that created the world with his spoken words, what can you give to him that he needs? I mean, if God wants something, he just speaks it, and there it is. <laughs> In Numbers 23, verse number 19, he says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God, whenever God wants to do something, he just does it. He has that ability because he's not like you or me. We're finite. He's infinite, infinite. As these Athenians would bring their sacrifices and and altars to lay their stone altars to make their gods happy. Paul says, this unknown God doesn't need any of your stuff. He created everything out of nothing. Why would he need your anything? No, God is so much bigger. God created everything. He needs nothing from anyone. And then he says this, he's in control of everything. That's what verse 26 is saying. And hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell to all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He says he determined everything. He's the creator of every person and culture that has ever existed, regardless of if they submit to him or not. 
And Paul was saying, this isn't just a religion of the Jews. No, 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 he says this. It's for all people. It's for the Gentile. Because listen, God is no discriminator of who his gospel is to go to. He has determined when and where He would allow things to happen. God is not the great cause of all things. He gives man free will. But there is nothing that is out of God's control. And God has a way of working all things together for our good and for His glory. You see, I'm sure every man in this room has been in the position before where you've had to assemble something together. All right, you've had to put something together. Maybe it's something simple, maybe it's something more complex. And what happens? Well, the first thing you do, the very first thing, you open up the box, you see this piece of paper that you immediately take and cast aside. Okay, that's the, very, that's the first instruction. And after that, you start laying things out and you start screwing things together and putting the pieces. And somewhere along the way, you find out it doesn't fit the way that it's supposed to, right? And, and you get frustrated and you're like, well, I don't understand. And usually about that time, your wife kind of peeks that around the corner and says, well, did you read the instructions? You say, no, what's the, I don't need an instruction. I'm a man, you know? And uh, that's, that's the way that we feel, right? And, and finally, you know, after you get so frustrated, you walk over and you pick it up and you think, I'm just going to take this thing back to the store because it's clearly broken, you know? And uh, you pick it up and, and somewhere on there it'll say this, don't return to the store, you know, reach the manufacturer, Contact the manufacturer. I'm not going to call some manufacturer about this. I mean, what in the world? I mean, they want me to do all these steps. It's just dumb, you know? We want to get to the end, right? You know, check off the box. That's the way that we're supposed to do it. Why did they tell us to call the manufacturer and not take it back to the store? Well, the store is just the middleman. They're just the one that sells things. No, no, no. What are they saying? They say, listen, go back to the people that made it. They're the ones that are ultimately in control. They're the ones that ultimately know, that understand. Friend, there's no stronger evidence of who this unknown God is than the fact that he created all things, is in control of all things, and needs nothing. And you can go back to the manufacturer. It has the answers. He's powerful. He is the final authority. He is the great creator. And before Paul could step into the next things that he was going to share with him, he had to first point to the supremacy of the power of the unknown God. But then he continued on in verse number 27, and he gave the purpose of the creation. Look at verse 27. That they should seek the Lord. Aptly they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. That they should seek the Lord. Paul moves to the next natural step. This unknown God is supreme. So what does that mean for me? Well, there is something that this all-powerful God does desire. And it isn't some possession laid down at a physical altar. No, Paul answers the first half of this question with those first words of verse 27. That they should seek the Lord. 
God desires that His most precious creation that He made, man and woman. You see, God created all the earth. And the Bible tells us that He created the sun, the moon, the stars. That He created the animals that breathe. He created the, 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 the fish in the sea. He created everything that is on this earth. But on that sixth day, He created something a little bit more special. The Bible says He created man. And what made man different was that after he created man, the Bible says he breathed into the man's nostrils the breath of life. That he made that man in the image of God. You understand there's only two things that God ever breathed into? One, he breathed into the nostrils of man. The other thing the Bible tells us that he inspired his word, breathed into his word. And when it happened, you know what happened? Both became living. <laughs> it's amazing how you can read the Bible and you get something new every time. When he breathed into man, he, he made something special. Something unique. Friend, we're, we're not just like all the other animals that are out there. Our, our culture today would like to say, well, you know, humans are the same as a dog or a cat or, or some other beast of the field. No, no, no. God made you unique. He made you special. He put in you a very ever-living, never-dying soul. You are unique and you were created in His image. And the Bible says that it's written on the conscience of man. This is amazing that there is a creator. Do you know that? It's written on their conscience. In Romans chapter number 2, verse 14, he says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law, listen, written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile excusing, accusing or else excusing one another. That's an interesting passage. Here's what it's saying. It says this, listen, you can find your way to the deepest, darkest corners of Africa, all right? Now, you know, there's not very many of those now, but you can find your way over there. You can find a tribe that's never seen a white man. You you can find a tribe that, that's, that, that's, that's been isolated from, from, from basically the time of Christ uh, shortly thereafter until now. You can find a tribe there that, that hasn't been there. And you know what? You could go in there. You could find your way in there. And you could find somewhere in there, there would be a chief, okay? Because they have a system. They have a law system, right? And, and maybe they don't have the same laws that we do. But you could go over to the chief. And you could go to one of the chief's wives. And you could take the chief's wife. And you could say, I'm going to take this as my wife. And you know what the chief would probably do? Kill you, okay? That's what would probably happen. Why? Because they have a law that you can't just take the chief's wife like that, all right? That's not the way things work. You say, well, where did that come from? It's written on their conscience. Because they're created in the image of God. Because you're created in the image of God. God designed you. He made you to know that there is a creator. In Romans chapter number 1, just the chapter before in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which be, may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Listen, so that they are without excuse. You know what the Bible tells me? It says, listen, you can walk outside 
And you may have never read the Bible before, but you look up into the sky and you see the stars here in Montana and there's something that's in your heart that says those, those didn't just boom appear like that. No, no, no. Somebody put those there. And you look at the mountains all around us and you think, man, there's something about those. This isn't an accident. This, this, this was intentional. This was on purpose. There was a creator. And it tells us that there is a God. And because of that, the Bible says we are without excuse. God wants man to seek after him so much that he programmed each person to have a desire deep within them to seek for something bigger than themselves. You realize everyone's born believing in God? It is man who seeks to rewire our thinking to believe that there isn't one. It's not natural, it's unnatural. But Romans 12, 2 tells us this, and be not conformed to this world. Don't be molded to this world, to the thinking of this world. What? But be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, as the world tries to, to, to transform and, and, and mold your mind into this, this thing, oh, no, there isn't a God. There isn't a God. No, you can't believe that there is a God. The Bible says that it's written on our hearts that you have to quench that spirit that God desires that, 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 to speak to you and, and to show you and make it clear that, listen, there is a God. And this world tries to quench it and tries to squash it. And God says, listen, everywhere that you look screams out, that there is a creator. Friend, if your mind has been rewired by this world, God can, can remake your mind anew. That you can clearly understand the truth that the Bible tells us that there is an all-powerful God. And you know what he desires? He desires you to seek him and to know him. And then Paul brings out the second thing God desires from his creation in verse 29. Not only to seek him, but to worship him. This is kind of interesting. Verse 29, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we're, we're created in him, him, his, his image. We ought not to think that, that God is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. See, God desires worship, but, but not with gold and silver and stone like the statues that those, those in Athens had created. No, God didn't want a statue. God wasn't looking for something that man could create or build. He didn't want what man could come up with with their own hands. No, 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 no. That's what religion comes up with. And God wasn't interested in empty religion. God wanted worship through relationship. Colossians Chapter number 1, verse 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and visible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. It says, All things were created by him and for him. See, the core difference between all religions and what the Bible says, there, there's a core one. Religion is all about what we can do for God. The gold, the silver, the stones that we can construct. 
Religion has taught people to believe that one day we're going to stand before God for a great, the most epic day of show and tell. You remember show and tell, right? You know, whenever you were in, in grade school. I, I remember, you know, I remember like first grade. You know, it was, it, was, uh, it was a long time ago, but I remember, you know, we had show and tell day, right? And, and what were you supposed to do? You're supposed to bring something from your home that you had made or something that, that you had, and you would bring it in, and you would show everybody what you had done and tell them about what it was, and, and everybody would clap their, oh, good job, that's a great, you know, the, the, the teacher would. Some of them, the kids would snicker and laugh and point and things like that, and then you'd lose all your friends after that day, right? And I mean, that was, I know I'm probably bringing up some tragic memories for some, but listen, that, that, was, that, was, that was what show and tell was. Religion, that's, that's what religion teaches. God, look at what I did. <laughs> look at what I made. Oh God, you know, look, look, look at me, God, I, I, I did all of these, these things. God says that's not not what I'm interested in. Religion tells us that one day we'll stand before God and we'll gain his favor and entrance into heaven based upon what we have done. The problem is, is it doesn't mesh with what the Bible says. Romans 4.4 4 says, Now to him that worketh is the reward, heaven, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But of debt. God, look at what I did. Look at my good works that I have done. God, look, look at this. I, I kept track. And, and look, God, there's a star beside every Sunday because I never missed a Sunday at church. God, look at what I did. I, I was baptized. God, look, look what I did. I, I, I gave a lot of money to the church. God, look, look, look at what I did. God, look at my religion. And God, look what I did, so now, listen, you owe me heaven. But God doesn't owe you or me anything. See, religion is what, about what I can do for God. But God wants you to understand not religion, but a relationship. Because religion is, look what I did for God. Relationship is all about, look what God has done for you. Do you get that? God, look at what I have done. And God says, no, 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 that's religion. What I want you to have is a relationship with me. And, 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 and I want you to understand what I have already done for you. That's what it's all about. You see, Romans 3.10 tells us, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Kyle, I don't really understand what you're saying there. Well, let's just go a little bit further. Verse number 23. For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. You know what the Bible tells us? It tells us, listen, every person in this room is a sinner. And if you don't believe it, just ask your spouse, okay? <laughs> and if you think you're doing okay, we can just go talk to your kids after the service, okay? They tell the truth, all right? Well, it's, it's always, it's just, it's funny. You, you go over and, and it's always, it always makes me quake whenever the Sunday school teacher of the kids comes over and says, you'll never believe what your kids said today. And it's like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, the truth always comes out. We're all sinners. There's a problem with that. Because in Romans 6, 23, it says that the wage or the payment for our sin is death. Death. The word death in the Bible is interesting. Most of the time it's in reference to separation. Not 
not just a separation from, from our body on this earth, but separation from God. See, the payment for sin is eternity in a lake of fire. It's what the Bible says, okay? It's not, like, I don't like it any better than you do, okay? I mean, like, it's, it's not something that I enjoy, but that's what the Bible says. Eternity there. But here's the good news. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth, he demonstrated his love toward us, in that while you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death. Christ died for us. In Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 8 and 9, they make it real clear. It says this, For by grace are you saved. Saved from what? Saved from your penalty of your sins. Saved to a puni- from a punishment forever in hell. Saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God, look at what I have done. No, 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 no. He says that's not what it's about. It's a gift that God has given. A gift that must be freely received and freely given. You see, in Romans chapter number 4, verses 4 and 5, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. God, look at what I have done. Now you owe me. But then the very next verse he says, But to him that worketh not. Not based on your works and what you can do. No, no, what do you have to do? But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. That person's faith is counted for righteousness. Listen, friend, you say, Kyle, you're quoting a lot of verses this morning because I told you at the beginning, it doesn't matter what I think. And it doesn't, can I tell you this? It doesn't matter what anybody at any house of religion here in Whitehall or at the state of Montana or across the United States or around the world has to say. The only thing that matters is the final authority. It is God who wants to take the stage on the show, take that platform, and show you his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. See, God wants to show up on that day of show and tell. Say, listen, you just sit down. Let me show and tell you about what Jesus did for you. On that Friday, all those years ago, we can remember the great sacrifice that Jesus gave. On Friday night this last week, we we reflected on the death of Christ. We talked about his broken body that he gave. We talked about his shed blood that he gave to pay for our sins. The broken body where the nails were pierced through. The crown of thorns that was placed on his head. The cat of nine tails that tore across his back. That's what we talked about on Friday We spoke about as the blood fell from his head, as it fell from his body, as it fell and pulled on the ground, as he shed his blood. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Jesus Christ was precious. It was perfect. And his blood was what paid for our sins. That's what Jesus did on on Friday. But the wages of sin is death. Someone had to die. And what makes Jesus so much, so special? What makes his death different than any other? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus wasn't just someone. And that's the final point of Paul's message. He says there in verse number 30, in the times of this ignorance God winked at, 
But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Just like Isaac talked about, Jesus isn't here walking around on this earth. Now, now the omnipresence of God obviously is in every place, but Jesus, the Bible says, he's seated on the right hand of the throne of God. And one day he will judge the world in righteousness. But listen to what he says. By that man who he hath ordained. you know who that is? That's Jesus. Don't miss this next part. Whereof he hath given assurance to all men. You want to know why his, his, his payment was sufficient? You want to know why it was enough? You want to know why it was different from everybody else that died? In that he hath raised him from the dead. Oh, listen, friend. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross as a gift for you and for me. But Jesus' death was different from any other person who had ever died. Because three days later, he rose again. And listen, friend, here's, here's the difference. He's alive today. Listen, there are other people in the Bible that were raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead. There were people in the Old Testament that were raised from the dead. But can I tell you, they all eventually died again. I mean, what, what bad news for them, you know? Listen, but not Jesus. No, the Bible tells us that he rose again and he is alive today. Jesus Christ defeated death. He gained victory over death and the grave. Only Jesus could rise again and be alive today. And when the ladies made their way to that garden tomb on that day and found the stone rolled away and the angel sitting on it and they hold the, heard the angel say, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified Oh, he's not here. No, no, no. He is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. He said, I don't believe it. Well, it would have been easy for them to disprove it. They could have just went and found the body of Jesus. <laughs> well, I don't think he really died. I mean, they stabbed him with a spear. They were sure of it. They knew that he was dead. Oh, listen, Jesus physically, bodily died. Was put in that tomb. And three days later, he rose again. Oh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Paul walks through the ramifications of what it would mean if Christ wasn't risen. He says, listen, our gathering today would be pointless. That's where he starts. Oh, man, thanks, Paul. He says, Kyle, your preaching would be in vain. Our faith would be false. All who have died would just stay in the ground. And this miserable life of yours would be your only hope. What great news. <laughs> but then he comes to verse number 20. He says this. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He says, listen, hey, I, hey, if Jesus wasn't alive, you'd have no hope, but let me give you good news. He says, but he is. He is alive. He did rise from the grave. He is a walking and is alive today, and he is God just as much as he was God on that day. And Paul says, now that you have heard the truth about the one who you, you have deemed as the unknown God, he says, you're no longer ignorant. That's what he's saying there in verse number 30. The time of this ignorance, God winked at. But now, God commandeth men everywhere to repent. 
See, Paul says to the Athens there, and he says to us today, now that you know the truth, you have to choose to do something with it. And he said, God's laid it out there for you. The answer, he commands everyone to repent. See, Jesus Christ died on that cross. He gave his life for you and for me. He gave you the gift of eternal life. He offers it to you. And all you have to do is receive that gift. It's a free gift. There's nothing that you can do. There's no show and tell of look at what I have done. God, I am putting my trust and faith in you and you alone. How do you receive it? Well, it's good. I'm glad that you asked. Romans chapter number 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Oh, there it is. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For every person that's in this room, you are without excuse once you've heard the truth. You must respond. You say, Kyle, I don't feel like responding. You're not going to tell me what to do. We live in Montana. I mean, like, it's not even the men, it's the ladies in Montana. They're like, you're not telling me what to do. You know, it's just, I know how it is. But listen, you, you will respond. Because that's exactly what happened in Paul's day. So we finish the chapter. Look at what it says there in verse number 32. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Are you kidding me? You're, you're telling me that, that some guy died on a cross and he rose again. <laughs> That's impossible. There's no way. And they got up and they walked away. And others said, well, you've given me something to think about, but, but listen, we'll, we'll hear you again about this. Maybe next time. I mean, you know, you make a, a, a convincing point, but I just... Maybe next time. For those that are, if you come to White Hope Half Church, you know we just preached about this a couple weeks ago. It's appointed a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment, the Bible says, your life's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. The whole, well, maybe next time, you don't know that there's going to be an opportunity for a next time. I can imagine Paul, he must have been so disappointed as he walked away. Again, <laughs> you're crazy, man. You're nuts. Lost your marbles. Maybe next time, Paul. So Paul departed from among them. Verse number 34. Howbeit certain men clave unto him, and listen, and believed. Can I challenge each person in this room today? Stop being so superstitious. <laughs> Stop being so religious. Find a relationship with the only one that <clears throat> truly matters. A relationship with God. He gave his life for you. He offers the gift to you. He tells you how you can receive it. And now you have to respond. Sadly, there'll be some probably in this room that will say, you know what, no thanks. Can you imagine rejecting a gift at Christmas time? Like, oh, 
That's what people do to God. No thanks. Though some that say, you know what, you know, it sounds good, but maybe later. But there may be a few in this room that will say, you know what, Kyle, I get it. I get it. We live in Montana. We work for everything. And we think, man, one day, stand before God and look at what I did. God says, that's religion. I want a relationship. I don't want to hear about what you did. I want to tell you about what I have already done. When Jesus was on the cross, the last words that he said, it is finished. You know what that means? You and I don't have to do anything for it except for receive that gift of eternal life and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that before, I hope you do it today. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank you for this, this day. And God, we rejoice in your resurrection. It gives us so much hope. It's what it's all about. And God, I believe there could be some in this room today that have never put their trust in you as their Savior. I thank you, God, for the many that have. But God, I'm sure there's a few that haven't. Lord, for the ones that haven't, I pray today you'd give them the boldness, God, and the courage, Lord, to, to accept you as their Savior, right where they're seated. With heads bowed and with eyes closed today, I'm going to ask just a couple of quick questions.